Hello Rock fans, uh, welcome to another episode of the Pure Capitalist Enjoyment Podcast. As ever, my name is David Cameron, I am your host, and this is the first of a two-part episode series on work and enjoyment. The enjoyment of work, the hatred of work, let's explore that in these episodes. Now, the reason for the two-part split is that in the first episode, I'm going to be talking a lot about a thinker called John Baudrillard. I have mentioned him before in previous episodes. He is a, a, a kind of a unique thinker. He takes an antagonistic attitude towards the left. Um, he takes an antagonistic attitude towards the right also, but um, he's very antagonistic towards the Marxist left. And then in the second episode, I'm going to look at that Marxist left that Baudrillard is so critical of, and I'm going to look at work from their perspective. Now, this split, more or less more or less mirrors a split within my thinking. So I'm sort of between these two. I see bo- a, a, bit of, uh, a bit of the truth in both. I haven't quite managed to finally commit myself to one or the other. I don't know if you even need to do that. Um, by the way, I'm doing these podcasts whilst I'm walking to work. I thought that would be in keeping with my with my principle of trying to be as embedded in the capitalist world as possible when I do these things. And I just thought, well, if I'm walking to work, then I may as well do a podcast or two, do an episode or two, and so I'm going to do this. So, the uh, now I might just pause every so often to let cars go past if they're particularly noisy, although I did do a test beforehand so you should be able to hear most of what I'm saying. So let's begin with uh, good old John Baudrillard. So I think the best place to start with Baudrillard is not, certainly not with The Matrix, the film. Uh, the, uh, The Matrix was made by uh, a couple of uh, a sort of co- co-writer, co-director, I think. Um, the is it the Wachowskis or something? And they obviously were impressed with Baudrillard's ideas enough so that they actually put Baudrillard's book *Simulacra* and *Simulation* sim, *Simulation* and *Simulacra*. Yes, uh, *Simulation* and *Simulacra*. They put that book in the movie so there's a moment where Keanu Reeves has something hidden and he has it hidden inside a cavity within one of Baudrillard's texts and they believe that what Baudrillard was saying was that we are living inside a matrix, a simulation but in fact that's not at all what Baudrillard meant by simulation and so it was kind of a comical 
misreading, really. Although it's, I, you know, plenty of people enjoy the film. It's not necessarily to. It's not necessarily to uh, have an appreciation of Odiar to enjoy that film, or it's not necessarily. Uh, it doesn't ruin your enjoyment, I should say, uh, of the film. Although, I, to be honest, I didn't have much time for it when it came out. Uh, I think it's not a very good film. But that's not the place to start with Baudrillard at all, because that's just a complete misreading. The place to start for me is in a concept called symbolic exchange. And this has its roots in the idea, or the economic ideas of uh, another French thinker called Georges Bataille. just going to let this traffic pass. So, uh, Georges Bataille wrote on economics in a very, very unique way. What he did was looked at the process of exchange not from the perspective that we would normally think of it in terms of the exchange of commodities through the medium of uh, money. What he actually did was he looked at things like the exchange of gifts and in particular he looked at this from a sort of an anthropological perspective. And Thank you. And he was in particularly interested in this thing, this tradition called potlatch, which is where uh, so-called primitive societies would consume and produce by exchanging gifts with each other. Um, so, I mean, to take a simplified model of this, if you can imagine two tribes uh, slightly separate from each other who will produce an exchange with each other, but not in the way that, you know, you've got two countries that maybe trade with each other, and they have trade imbalances, you know, the famous trade imbalances at the moment between the, uh, the trade deficit in the Western countries and the trade surplus in places like China. That's a big topic at the moment in uh, global politics. But, um, no, uh, these, this symbolic exchange process is based on the principle of gifting. So one tribe would produce a whole load of stuff. This is the model. I mean, I'm not, anthropologically, this uh, may be open to question, I don't know. Uh, but, yeah, one tribe would uh, produce a whole bunch of stuff. And then that would eventually be gifted over to the other tribe, and that was a that was a cultural convention called potlatch. The function of it was that what you then did when you when one tribe handed that over, it then became then it sort of established a reciprocal relationship, so that the other tribe would then be under a sort of symbolic obligation to return the gift. And there would be imbalances. In fact, there would sometimes be a sort of a competitive, uh, you know, we'll gift you more than what you gifted us last time. 
I mean, this is the thing about gifts. It's, um, if you give somebody, if you receive a gift, you feel this sense of obligation. But if you don't want to go over the top in returning the gift, you know? Um, if my millionaire uncle was to gift me uh, a BMW, that's going over the top. It's not only going over the top, and this is the critical part, it's creating a power relation. It's, it's making things about power rather than about recognising the other. So there's a kind of a very, very thin line between ethical relations and power relations in this model. And so this is where uh, Baudrillard takes things up, really. Uh, just about to cross over a road here. This is fairly noisy, so I'm going to wait until I've crossed before getting on to the next part here. This uh, is in keeping with my usual ramshackle amateurism. That's good. Okay, so this is quite a quiet stretch, so hopefully uh, you will be able to follow the thread of this quite well. So the idea is that we've covered this symbolic exchange concept, the idea of creating ethical relations with each other through gift exchange. And for Georges Bataille, that was an economic question as well. I mean, for him, and this is what Bodja really picks up, from Bataille is the idea that modern economies are set up in such a way that we want to downplay the radical possibility of returning to gift exchange as the model for uh, economic production and consumption. You know, you could uh, we, you could imagine an economy in which you know, take two cities, say Birmingham and London. Uh, just imagine if once a year Birmingham hauled a whole load of trucks down to London, opened them up and said, come on guys, here, here's everything that we've produced for you. And then in return, uh, London would have to do the same thing. And there would always be a slight imbalance, but it wouldn't. It wouldn't. It would be a different set of problems to what the trade imbalance, say, between America and China creates at the moment. It would be an ethical problem rather than a logistical or, you know, strictly speaking, financial or economic problem. So, this is where Baudrillard picks things up, because he's again interested in how this concept haunts. Uh, Western societies, and in particular, he argues that uh, the concept of work is a type of gift, or rather not the concept of work, but work itself is a type of gift, which is a really unusual way of looking at things, uh, certainly in the tradition that Baudrillard came out of. He came out of the Marxist tradition, which tended to look at work just in a kind of an exploitation, just as a kind of exploitation. And here's Baudrillard, he comes along and he's saying, no, it's not, uh, 
exploitation in the sense that you think it is. It's actually uh, more in line with the concept of a gift. Now, that sounds, in a way, almost kind of quite uh, in line with conservative thinking, which argues that, you know, well, what right do people have to turn down work when they're offered it? Um, but in fact, it's actually, it's the radicality that Baudrillard's going for, because he actually argues that when work is made into a gift in that sense, what it actually does is it creates a power relationship because it's a gift that we cannot return. So, uh, you know, uh, to carry over from that example of the uncle that gives you a BMW, if you can't return that gift, then that is humiliating. And so it's the same for uh, work in Baudrillard's view. He takes the view that uh, work isn't exploitation as such, it's uh, humiliation. Because it's a gift that's been given to you, but you cannot return it. So that's his core thesis on it. Uh, how does that play out in the modern world? Well, I mean, you can you can see how it cuts across contemporary debates about work because, you know, on one side, you've got the Conservatives who are arguing that you have no right to turn down work when you're offered it. But they, for them, that's uh, based on a kind of moral view that uh, the essence of human beings is to work. It's not based on the view that work is a gift. Maybe a gift from God in some cases of conservative thinking, maybe, I don't know. Um, and then on the traditional left view, you've got this idea that work is exploitation, which uh, is not quite what Baudrillard's going to argue. And so he cuts across this debate, and so that's why I think that's such a helpful intervention. Hang on. Let's stop there for now. So that's me finished work now, and I'm heading home. So to recap, we started with an account of symbolic exchange which is linked to uh, Georges Bataille's work on the potlatch, which is a cultural, uh, a cultural practice from sort of prehistory where uh, economic production and consumption was based on gift exchange rather than uh, straightforward commodity exchange as we know it now and then Baudrillard comes along and says well this symbolic exchange haunts the whole of the economy now and that uh, the uh, the offer of paid employment is not in fact uh, anything to do with uh, 
It's simply a market process where you have whatever skills you might have and you take those to the market and find somebody willing to uh, reward you financially in return for uh, giving over those skills for a period of time. That's not how it works. What in fact is happening is that underneath all that uh, is symbolic exchange and work in fact is a gift but it's a gift you can't return which then creates these power relations between people who have to work and people who don't have to work because they own capital or something like that so now where does enjoyment come into this well obviously uh, if work is as humiliating as Baudrillard claims, then obviously it's something has to be done to help people stay with it, you know, um, or to prevent people from uh, rising up and overthrowing the uh, the order, as it were. So, what happens, according to well, I don't know if it's quite according to Baudrillard. He does have this idea of work has become a, a sign within a, within a network of signs. So, uh, whereas work before was something that you had to go out and seek in order to survive, it's now much more like uh, sort of a part of your identity in a much more uh, narcissistic and fluid way. You know, you, if you were working down a mine uh, 100, 100 years ago, being a miner was of course a part of your identity, but you weren't sort of, uh, nobody sought out the mining career as a way of uh, narcissistically maintaining themselves, whereas now people do seek out particular careers. I mean, even 100 years ago, your career was about reproducing the social class in which you were in. Uh, whereas now, people will seek out a career based on how it looks on Facebook or uh, any other social media sites that they're a member of. And so, when you're when you move away from labour as work as something that you have gone into the market to find in order to survive versus the concept of work as something that you take on to promote yourself uh, we're in a different realm there and so therefore enjoyment is very very closely linked to that because that's all about partially it's about creating hierarchies this gets back to something I mentioned on a previous episode. Uh, Paolo Verno, when he writes about uh, servile virtuosity as the as the key to understanding today's workplace. Everyone likes to be a virtuoso at something. Everyone likes to be good at something. And if you find that something in your employment. You know, that's something that you, we're all told, find the thing that you love and do that. Well, for Verno, that's still servile virtuosity. 
that would be possibly one possible way of looking at that would be through this lens that Baudrillard has given us of symbolic exchange because you know if you're if ultimately underneath it all is a kind of humiliation the humiliation of the gift that we can't return then the uh, supposed enjoyment is still servile to borrow that term from Verno and now the question then becomes what can we actually do to overturn all this or to resist it in some sense well I mean to, th to go back to the example of a, a, a gift of a BMW from a rich uncle that you can't return that gift then the, the analogy would continue in that if you imagine you receive a car from an uncle obviously the purpose really is to drive it is to take that on as a vehicle, as a status symbol maybe, perhaps, thinking again about Baudrillard's point about how we're maintaining this sort of narcissistic realm of appearances the car would be part of that well here's a suggestion, what about just creating an uh, a moment in which you get a video camera set the thing alight and just like film this massive explosion take the clip and say, show it to your uncle and say see this this is oh, this is because of you that I was able to do this I would never have been able to do this so thanks uncle you've uh, you've allowed me to create this amazing video we'd never have been able to do it well obviously what's going on there is that you're raising the stakes and that's a, that's a phrase that you all find in Baudrillard every so often when he talks about symbolic exchange because there's always this tendency to raise the stakes if you think back to our uh, model of two tribes who are recognising each other through gift exchange then if one gives a particularly large gift that maybe the other tribe can't meet then that first tribe has raised the stakes in some way and it's the same with uh, this example that I'm given where say for instance you decide to turn that gift of a car into the opportunity to blow the thing up you've done the same you've raised the stakes that clip becomes a counter gift and this is Baudrillard's whole model of gift and counter gift and constantly the only way to avoid the creation of these power relations is to uh, is to raise the stakes so if you're somebody who has received the gift of work then how do you raise the stakes well first of all probably the best thing to do is to not accept the form of enjoyment at work that you're given by the employer or the uh, the contemporary ideology so you know 
I'm not saying don't find enjoyment within the workplace. Maybe there's some sort of alternative enjoyment that you could find that's a counter gift, you know? Um, maybe the solution, and these are just my random thoughts here. Uh, by the way, that's a pedestrian crossing uh, that I'm having a lurch across here. Maybe the, the one suggestion is to kind of just take it easy and don't get caught in the rat race. I mean, uh, if you think about the kind of slacker attitude of find work that meets your need to pay the bills, keep those to a minimum and don't bother with any promotions, don't suck up to the employer's regime that you're within and just say, well, thank you very much for the the uh, entry-level job. Let's stay there. I mean, obviously, there's realities beyond that, which you can't avoid. But at the end of the day, you can also, as well as reducing your production, your productivity, you can also reduce your consumption. So that'd be one example of a of the uh, counter gift. I'm trying to think of some others. Uh, perhaps one method would be to kind of turn your performance at work into a kind of playful performance. You know, to maybe so actively embrace the role that it becomes a subversion. That is a thing where people have, in the past, actively embraced the role in order to uh, subvert it, as it were. There's a famous, famous example of a book called uh, The Good Soldier Schweik, and the idea is that in this Austro-Hungarian war, this soldier, who's a kind of a conscript, he so literally embraces the orders that he's given and performs them in a kind of completely literal way that he actually ends up undermining the orders because usually when you're given orders you're not going to maybe execute them in quite the literal fashion that you're that within the letter of the text would uh, imply. So, you know, everybody knows that there's always a leeway, there's always room for judgment. Well, what if you left room for no judgment in your understanding of those orders and just literally did what you were told and no more? Well, that would be another one. I mean, that would be, again, a counter gift because you're taking on the performance that you're given as a gift. That's the employ the role of a worker, but you're turning it into something else. Something else is going on. Uh, so that's another example. So these are just random examples that uh, I've thought of on the spot here. Now, uh, I think I shall leave it there, and we will uh, we'll see what we come up with 
in the next episode. Well, hope everyone uh, has a has a good day, as they say. Take care, guys. <laughs>